Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Over Under Movies and all the Playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional, independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Mubi's film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it. Plans start as low as $5.99 a month. Visit mubi.com slash the playlist to start a special 30-day free trial. Movie's current highlights include 13 Samedi, um, which I, I can certainly vouch for is a pretty one of the most tense uh, experiences I've ever had uh, at the movies. So if uh, you get a chance to to check this out, uh, I would highly recommend it. Uh, they also have Paul Shader's Affliction, um, The Crime of Monsieur Lange, and finally, David Lynch's uh, masked work, I, I, in, in my opinion, is uh, Mulholland Drive. Um, so definitely check out. They got a great, great selection over there this week at Movie. So once again, visit MUBI.com slash the playlist to start a special 30-day free trial. Now, on to the show. Over the line! Hello and welcome to another episode of Over Under Movies, the podcast in which we discuss one overrated and one underrated movie within the same genre, style, tone, director, or however we may see fit. This is Oktay Ege Kozak. And this is Andy Crump. And unfortunately, our regular co-host, Ryan Oliver, uh, is not with us right now. Um, I think the main reason is because he hates musicals and kind of <laughs> sat, sat through our picks, uh, basically uh I guess it turns out for no reason, so the joke's on him, haha. <laughs> and he's going to edit this episode, so he has to listen to this. But, uh, but yeah, uh, the the official quote unquote uh, reasoning is because you know we just couldn't figure out a way for all three of us to record together, and we really wanted to get this episode um, done and uh, out of the way, uh, especially with with Andrew, because the the, the films that uh we're going to be talking about our um you know films films that andy andy you and i kind of like discussed a little bit beforehand and it was interesting enough for me to kind of get into like the idea of let's expand this out a little bit and make an episode out of it um so this episode um is go uh the films in this episode are going to be my picks and i am picking La La Land as the as the overrated pick and Jacques Demy's Umbrellas of Sherberg as the underrated. And since we're going to be doing a lot of comparison between the two films, we're just going to be kind of generally talking about them at the same at the same time within the same conversation instead of the way we usually do it, which it, where we split the episode into two segments and talk about each film uh, individually. Tonight we're on a mission. Tonight's the casting call. This is the real audition. Oh, God, help us all. You make the right impression, then everybody knows your name. 
Um, but generally, I just wanted to talk about these two films together for a while now. Uh, Ryan and I discussed La La Land briefly during our year-end episode where we discussed the most overrated and most underrated films of the year. And La La Land was certainly one of my picks, uh, especially at the time when the the adulation for the film was reaching some kind of a, a cult-like fever pitch. And uh, I just basically laid out my reasoning behind why I, as as attractive and charming charming is the key word i guess uh, as i find some a lot of the stuff in la la land to be especially the musical numbers i think it's a film that has um a lot of issues especially with narrative structure and pacing and um as far as the storytelling is concerned i think that the characters are cardboard cut out kind of melodrama uh, archetypes and as charming as the musical numbers are with their kind of uh, go broke um fun mentality that does that's not really entirely too rigid with the choreography and the, the singing i feel is a little subpar especially compared to the kind of uh amazing musicals that uh it tries to emulate and also it has a lot of um kind of pacing problems there are there are there are points where the musical aspect of the entire story kind of takes a back seat and a big chunk of the second act you're just watching these characters who I don't find to be very interesting or or unique to begin with um and it's it's hard for me to relate to their kind of uh first world uh like white youth problems um they come across as a little bit um kind of entitled and grating at times and without those kind of beautiful musical numbers to offset the 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 lack of sufficient or at least interesting character development uh it it kind of lags a little bit until it kind of picks up at the end and the very end is kind of legendary now for being this like uh melancholic um ode to what could have happened with these with these characters but there is a film that kind of pulled all of those tones off i think in a much better way a film that i i i can pretty much safely say that damien chazelle was obviously very much inspired by and the director he very much inspired by because he did a lot of uh films in that vein but i think uh and that director is jacques demy um who did i think uh three sing through musicals or or three musicals in kind of like the same tone throughout his career and it's a um but i think the best example of that is umbrellas of cherbourg which is a, a kind of um unapologetically uh colorful and exuberant melodrama uh that is completely sing through and has some unforgettable music um unforgettable characters as much as they're like kind of a baseline um melodrama lovers uh who are kind of pulled apart from each other because of outside instances kind of a story but they are um you can you can feel uh what they're going through it's it's like a very um sincere approach to that story and uh just generally i just want to say that uh Umbrellas of Cherbourg um pulls off what La La Land w- is, kind of strives to do and kind of fails in some ways. Um 
you know, five decades before La La Land even um, came about. So that's my overall thesis. So we can go into like the details of the, the films themselves. But uh, before we do that, um, I want to kind of um, pass the ball to you, um, Andy. What do you what do you think of what, first of all, what do you think of La La Land? And then what do you think of that kind of comparison? What do you think of La La Land and and Umbrellas of Sherbrooke, I guess, kind of separately? And then what do you think about that uh, comparison? I mean, I think La La Land, I'm I'm kind of glad to revisit it, uh, you know, what, six months after the Oscars, thereabouts, um, give or take, I can't remember, because La La Land is such a loaded movie, and any movie like La La Land is just going to be loaded, kind of without meaning to be loaded, and it's nice to kind of revisit it without the pressure and the the chatter and the the uh expectations of oscar season kind of uh cloistering cloistering you in and and shaping your opinion and and it's it's nice to be able to get to have the long view on it now um i still don't it 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 doesn't improve very much for me as a movie even though all that time has passed but the the rancor that I had for it has definitely subsided, and I'm a lot more clear-eyed about the film now than I think I was uh, back around award season. Hawk is it's... coming down to Bruce Banner. <laughs> yes, exactly. Although you know you you know how you know how he's always angry, so it's it's not much. That's not much comfort. So, <laughs> um, it's. It was weird. It was like, it was just, hmm, what's the word I'm looking for? Too coincidental to me that Criterion decided to do a Blu-ray release of Umbrellas the month or so after uh, the Oscars. And I, I wrote a whole piece about it and was had it, had it pointed out to me in the comments section on the playlist that, you know, they, they'd already put Umbrellas out in their collection in like a, a Demi... In the box. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. But that's not really the point for me. The point is that they explicitly said to themselves, you know, let's release let's... it as a single release. And I think they released it at the same week uh, with, with uh, young girls of with Ro- they released them yes. together. I think. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They, they both were, they were both on the same release slate for the same month. Now I, I have no idea how criterion works. I have no idea how far in advance they determine their release slates. I have no idea what uh, pardon, the word, what criteria they use to determine their release slates, but it, it just strikes me as far too coincidental. Like yeah, the, it but, felt like a yeah. statement. Yeah, this this is a different kind of situation because if this was a brand new kind of release where they would, you know, usually they go over like uh, a year's worth of work, getting the, the transfer right and the extras together, <laughs> the documentaries that they shoot for the release mm-hmm. and blah, blah, getting the whole package together. The difference this time around, I think uh, that it, it kind of shows that maybe there was that kind of like a timing in the marketing uh, was concerned mm-hmm. because uh, the, the, uh, the thing this time around is that those discs were already ready they were done all, yeah, all they right. need to do was it's the exact same disc from the box set all they did was you know repackage it as a single release and just put it out there which is something they could have done within you know a couple of months with, with a couple of weeks of work 
so in that case, I think you might have a point. If it was like a brand new kind of release, then I would say like, yeah, they probably started working on this before La La Land was even on the radar. But mm-hmm. the, the coincidence of both La, both uh, Umbrellas of Sherberg and Young Girls of Rochefort, which I think uh, complement each other really well in the way that the, the two kind of tones that La La Land tries to achieve with this kind of like very halt, heartfelt uh, melod- melodrama of the, the, the tragedy of this, this, this young love not working out, which in the case of Umbrellas of Sherberg, there are a lot more like kind of relatable conflict there. In the case of La La Land, it's a bit more, it's a bit more like, ah, oh, you're just being kind of like entitled idiots a little bit. Like, <laughs> so it's, it's harder to, to sympathize with their, with that tragedy, quote unquote, uh, as it is with Umbrellas of Sherberg, where there's like, so, there's, there, there are clear, um, uh, roadblocks along the way for the characters that you see where the the, the ending that kind of really resembles the ending of La La Land. It, it, in Umbrellas of Chicago, it feels a bit more inevitable. And then uh, Young Girls of Rochefort, uh, you know, captures that side of La La Land where it's just fun and breezy and just these goofy dance sequences and you know, it's a the Youngers of Rush, Rushford has a lot more like fun with itself. It's it's much more of a comedy, and I think um, those two tones from those two, um, I guess technically similar. Like they look very similar in, in in the case of these like exuberant colors and the the kind of uh, bright cinematography that they have. Um, they're they're very they're similar in that sense, but as genre and tone wise, uh, Young Girls of Rushford and Umbrellas of Sherbrooke are are fairly different. Uh, but I think La, uh, I think Chazelle tried to like take those two tones and tried to meld them together into uh, into La La Land. So it just feels like those two specific films coming out like around the same time when La La Land is just the height of the the cultural zeitgeist. It's uh, you know, it's it definitely does not look like a coincidence, especially considering that they all all they had to do was to just like pop out the discs from the box set and put it in another right. package. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it definitely felt like that. Definitely felt like a, a statement by a criterion. Whether the statement is something as craven as "let's cash in" or something a little bit more, um, a little bit more serious-minded, as in look at look at where la la land came from you can watch these two movies and you get a a sense of where that movie came from um i mean i think i think for for me speaking of, i mean speaking of relatability i can't really relate to the experiences of umbrellas at all because i've i'm not that i've not that i've never you know been in love but i've never been drafted to fight in a mm, war yeah. or and I, i've never you know I've never had the the experience that the uh, protagonist, the male protagonist in that film, uh, has. I would probably say that I relate more closely to uh, Ryan Gosling's character in La La Land, just you know, as somebody who has uh, a personal dream, which would be you know, writing hmm. um, and chasing so that dream. Someone talks about how, how, how jazz is dying while the actual jazz musicians you admire are playing right in front of you. Well, and th- I mean, not not to like get not to get off my point, but that just see that's one of the things that drives me nuts about the movie. You can't make that argument when people like you have musicians like Kamasi Washington representing and and fostering, you know, the traditions of jazz in a very traditional way, or 
musicians like Esperanza Spalding, who are obviously she she very much pays heed and and uh, homage to jazz's foundations, while also kind of finding ways to update it and 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 evolve jazz. So like you, the 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 very the fundamental premise of that movie, which it's 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 just it's a ridiculous premise, and it would be fine if at any point in the movie somebody pointed out to, to you know Ryan Gosling's character that he has no idea what he's talking about. That would have been different, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of accepted that you know, and like his his belief that that this this great tradition, this great musical tradition, is dying is more or less. Uh, like validated, and I just find I find that completely ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, let's let's as a way of getting into like the more uh, specific, uh, distilling down the more specific elements of of each film and comparing them together. Let's let's for example talk about the relatability of the characters and how well uh, or they are they are formulated. Um, you know, Ryan um, Ryan Gosling's character. Is I mean you you said you said you can relate to him more and I, I guess in 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 many ways I can too as an aspiring artist and writer and anybody who gets into any kind of art and can't really like see their way through like making a living out of uh, expressing a pure form of that art that they want to accomplish and all that stuff that I can I can definitely uh, relate with um, all of that uh, but I think he just kind of I, I I can understand the genesis the core of that character and how that began and i but i think through the writing and especially through the performance it just comes across as a lot more of an entitled smug personality like almost like a like someone who would be um almost an antagonist or at least a like a comic relief ridicule character in another movie where it's like the like the like the smug artist type or something like that like you, mm-hmm. you see in in like comedies uh, and he kind of comes across as like like that, and makes it harder to to relate to him because it's hard to get a grasp on exactly what he wants to do. He wants to be successful. I feel like I feel like he wants to be way more successful than what being um, kind of a traditionalist, um, ja- like strictly to the traditionalist jazz musician. How, how as as far as that kind of a person would get in contemporary life, I think he wants to be like the the kind of um, big musical act that would, you know, pack in the crowds, just like the kind of quote unquote sellout bands band that he joins. Um, I think that's that's the kind of life that he's looking for. He wants to be like a star by do, by doing this stuff. But it's like the most you're gonna get when you're that kind of a traditional uh jazz musician i mean first of all does he want to even compose his own stuff play his own stuff uh i think he just it mostly just sounds like he just wants to play this music uh you know then that's mostly you're just going to get it i mean he's not really going to get that much further away from further up from the kind of bar boring low paying bar gig that he has at the beginning, maybe he would be able to like play it on his own music in his own way, which in the end that that's what it kind of turns into, but it's not really clearly communicated how far he wants to go and for him to be unrealistically say that I want to be this big star while also, you know, um, just sticking to exactly what I want to write about. I mean, I could be, 
uh, I could be just constantly talking about, like, as a film critic, saying, like, all I want to write about is Akira Kurosawa films, and I'm going to make a living doing that, and I'm going to ignore any new film of any other type that comes out. I refuse to write about them. Like, I, I probably wouldn't get that far in my career. I might be able to get, like, you know, a book deal or something that for a book that nobody would read down the line mm-hmm. but i wouldn't really like get that far so that that stuff is not like really clearly communicated and um also his kind of instant disgust towards john Le- legend's music as if he's just completely bastardizing what he's trying to do when all he's doing is just basically um yeah it's just, it's just a matter of like tonal approach and the the tone that he tries to find is not the conflict that he tries to pinpoint. I don't feel like it's there because the character's conflict, internal conflict, is not that strong and has a pretty easy solution to begin with. And then um, setting up that band that he joins is like the the most like evil thing that destroys the purity of the art when it's just like a kind of a standard like jazzy progressive band or whatever um maybe maybe he should have make make that distinction clearer maybe he should have made that band like like goofier or more of like a stupid sellout type thing like that like that 80s tribute band that he plays in the beginning of the um the film that would be like somewhat easier to lampoon i guess but it's just it's just at because of those reasons, he just comes across as like kind of an entitled brat, and it's hard to kind of feel uh, relate to his uh, conflict. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, and that that was something I was I was you know I was going to work my way toward is just that as much as I relate to him, as much as I relate to Se- I, you know, to Seb, I just find him really insufferable because you it's it's entitled, but it's also I mean Chazelle's. Chazelle's kind of his conception of the kind of artistic purity that Seb craves is just is monkish. It's it's like it's zealotry and it's it's mm-hmm. so off putting. I, I mean, speaking for myself, like, yeah, if if I could just do if I could just make a living writing about movies like like Get Out or Lemon and not really worry about superhero movies. I, or television shows, I'd be thrilled. Like if I could just write about the, like the top of the lakes of the world instead of having to even spend time with, you know, the defenders, that would be great. But the reality is, I had you to can't... watch Not Jeb too. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, like, I had to rant there for just a second. Go ahead. I, I I forgive you. We all we all have feelings. You had to watch to the emoji over. movie. You had to watch the emoji movie. That's yeah, as right. much of a torture as you can get. But and and I I'll just say before like just just really quickly like there is sort of a, a pleasure that you can get from writing a, a really negative review of a movie that evoked a very strong negative response in oh, you. Yeah. I hated the emoji movie, but I loved writing about it. But like <laughs> I I just I think it's it to me to me Seb's um d- his devotion to purity. Uh, just kind of clangs with how comfortable this movie is and how comfortable Chazelle's style is and, and just like how easy 
his movies are. He's not a bad he's not a bad filmmaker. I think he he is technically proficient, but I I just think these are movies made by you know Whiplash and La La Land are movies made by um they're they're made like movies made by a very comfortable white guy who really doesn't have much of a perspective other than like a white middle class perspective. Mm-hmm. So these movies, I mean, Whiplash less so I would say than than La La Land, but they're both they're both like they're both very much sanitized of of like the consequences of mm-hmm. struggle and the, like the consequences of going for broke and trying to trying to like make this this crazy narrow dream you have mm-hmm. become reality. Like if I were to quit my day job tomorrow and just write, that would be like I like that would be so stupid. That would be like you know, cutting cutting the bottoms of my feet and leaping off of a cliff into shark infested waters, <laughs> like while 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 holding a grenade like a lit grenade in my teeth, yeah. like there's just there's nothing safe about it. And this, but the but La La Land is incredibly safe, and it all works out in the end, other than yeah. the fact that that the two main characters don't don't get together. But but that was never their dream, so it doesn't. It almost doesn't matter, and it makes that that bittersweet montage where they imagine what could have been feel completely unearned yeah i mean that's that's an interesting point and i i agree with you on that and definitely because chazelle doesn't set up that that fundamental choice between love and career that i think he's trying to um have it be like the big uh, overarching theme of the of the story, especially the conf- inner, inner conflict that the characters are going through, he doesn't really set up that choice as strongly as a conflict that I think he thinks he does. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it becomes fairly clear from the from very early on that these two people are infatuated with each other. Yes, maybe they're in love with each other, but um, as we find out at the end, when it comes to kind of choosing between their love and this kind of career that they've been striving for um, because of the way these characters are written and because of the performances and maybe because Chazelle puts so much uh, importance, so much weight on the, this idealistic um, dreams that these characters have towards their art that we, it's hard to think that, in any case, if they get any kind of a chance to, if they're in any any kind of position to choose between love and uh, furthering their career, they're just going to pick their career anyway. And so the ending just comes across as like, you know, I didn't get everything I wanted and I wanted to have my cake and eat it too and that didn't happen. And it's almost like you're supposed to feel sorry for that. Uh, does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it absolutely does. It's like, how how do I... How do I pity this? Like you, they're both massively. They both wind up being massively successful, and getting exactly what it is that they that they want. Where I th- I think the movie would maybe have felt it, w- it would have been more affecting if it had been the inverse. Mm-hmm. If they had you know given up everything for each other, and if like the bittersweet, the bittersweet notes of of the climax had to do with mm-hmm. them, you know. So you're staring wistfully at, at, you know, at like the like watching the Oscars on television together or, or watching a jazz performance together. Yeah. And, like, you know, looking ahead wistfully at like the dreams that they had lost or dreams that they had sacrificed. Because yeah. 
they made the choice to to stick with each other. I think it just comes across as like like the romance angle of the story itself is not strong enough for us to feel that kind of tragedy. Whereas I feel like on the other hand, in Umbrellas of Cherbourg, um, the the entire first half of the film is just it's just all focused on how much these two people love these two kids who are just teenagers. They're even younger than Ryan Reynolds and uh, Emma Stone. No, or mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. These two teenagers, how much they love each other. Like they, they can't stand being apart from each other. Like um, even when, you know, the obvious response to something like that is basically what their parents are responding saying, you know, this is just young love, uh, it's just infatuation, it'll pass. Uh, but it, Demi does such a good job of, like, just focusing, zeroing in on that relationship and saying that, and basically making the audience get that this, no, this is not, like, puppy love, this is not infatuation, saying that this is true love, these two people, like, belong together. And... Once you set that up, then the consequence of them splitting turns into tragedy and therefore creates a palpable melodrama. Uh, but yeah. I think that's missing from La La Land. What, what do you think about um, the way that Demi handles that relationship as opposed to Chazelle? I mean, I think I think Demi has the ultimate, you know, the ultimate ace ace in the. Uh... The, like the the ace up his sleeve here because he has he has war like mm-hmm. like there there's a very like yes he sets up the the romance between between the two his two young lovers um very well and mm-hmm. and they're very much in love but then like the dream becomes impossible not because of you know any not because of interpersonal um meddling not because like the mother forbids it or not because of this or that but it because of because of armed conflict Mm -hmm. like like that like to see to see to see you know gosling and stone's characters like chafe against each other and have friction because they're both going in different career directions like because they're both not getting exactly hundred right right yeah and it's like it's like yeah and and uh, that's not that's not like war and i might die now Right, like, like I'm, I'm gonna go take a government job where I have to dodge bullets every day. Like, it's, it's, it's not that, like, it's not that I don't understand like the the Gosling or Stone conflict in La La Land, and it, or, and it's not even that I don't think that it's real because I'm sh- like that's that's a thing. I'm, couples will fight about things like that. That's natural. But the the degree to which La La Land takes that, and and the amount of stuff that. La La Land loads into that is is almost absurd. Whereas, like umbrellas, it's it's tragic. Like this is this is you know this is military like military campaigning tearing these two people apart. And then that's not even to like to to think about what the war in question meant for for the country and for the the mm-hmm. the period that the film is set in. So mm-hmm. there there's just there's such a weight you know pressing down on the movie on umbrellas and if you know i'm sure that anybody who is more historically astute than i could you know talk at length about about uh about the war about france about that uh, what, era bad, bad, battle of algiers if uh, yeah oh yeah you, you could do that too it. even if you yeah, don't want to exactly. know more about the it, 
the war, just watch it anyway because it's a masterpiece. It's a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and but but I think the absurdity comes from um, the fact that Chazelle treats the the conflict between these these two characters as if it holds the weight of the conflict, the central conflict within Umbrellas of Shatterberg, as as if they are going to war, or as if like the the um, as if as if the kind of conflict between them is a lot more serious than it actually is. And mm. in that sense, it almost comes across as like a, like a Mel Brooks or a, or a Zucker Ebram Zucker movie where they treat these, like these really silly situations as if with the, with the, with the gusto of like a high octane thriller or something with the, with the score and the performances, they're all exaggerated. And uh, it, it kind of comes across to me like that, like is, and and there's there's a bit of a discord between the exuberance and the kind of free spirited nature of the dance sequences, which which just which are just joyful and fun, uh, no matter how much you know. I feel like they could be. The more and more I watch it, I feel like they could be more and more criticized for being kind of badly choreographed or not very well executed like the actors you know it, it has this kind of like plucky spirit to it like i understand that like the the opening uh highway dance song and dance number is not it's not perfectly choreographed it's not perfectly sung uh it wouldn't have passed muster in um like the glory days of hollywood uh musicals where you know everything had to be just like incredibly perfect uh, it, you know, like that, none of none of that stuff would have passed in like Gene Kelly days, for example. But it's like, okay, you 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 understand the you you roll with the pluckiness, the the fun, the joy of it all. But then, once those sections are over, and then the melodrama starts, it's just a, it's just too much of a sudden and self serious shift. So maybe if he had kind of adopted a a tone that was closer in spirit to young girls of rush rushford which is which doesn't really have a lot of melodrama in it which doesn't really concern itself with like the um the tragic uh forbidden or or broken love affair and stuff like that it's just about a bunch of people who try to like um hook up and have fun and put on a put on a show like it's it's a really kind of breezy uh, fun film so i think i think he was trying to the musical numbers are more reminiscent of Young Girls of Rushford, which that movie, the choreography, choreography, and the the execution of the dance numbers and that are, are far far better because number one, it has Gene Kelly in it, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, but but if he put that aside tonally, I think that would have worked better if he just made a comedy, if he just made like La La Land and these, you know, have the same story, these people fall in love and blah, blah, and have them even break up at the end, have the same story beats, and but don't put that much kind of uh, self-serious, melodramatic tone over it. Or if, or if you're going to be that self-serious, at least at least have the, the chutzpah to be a little bit introspective. Like, you, you, can, you can sense that, that Chazelle is working out and I, for all I know, I could be completely wrong, and I'm 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 just you know reading into things. But I, I feel like La La Land is is an exercise for Chazelle to work stuff out that he feels about himself or his career. Except that 
the, like the movie never the the movie never matures to a point where it reconsiders itself or it even considers itself to begin with enough that it could reconsider itself. Mm-hmm. It, it just there, it, it kind of presents what it presents and does the things that it wants to do without, without commentary. I mean, yes, there's, there, there are moments where Seb is mildly castigated for his, his beliefs and for, you know, sort of the way that he treats uh, Emma Stone, but there's there's never there's never a sense that this movie is actually thinking about kind of the the emotional mechanics and the mechanics of self interest that go into the, the 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 mission that Chazelle's hero is on and the the journey that he's on it just it really just kind of assumes that the the end uh the end justifies the means and it, i don't think i don't know it just it doesn't feel very sophisticated in that regard well yeah that that's that's how it comes across and then you kind of get annoyed at the end kind of asking like if if yeah if the end justifies the means and um this was going to be the end result anyway like why did you care so much if we cared about whether or not these characters stay together or uh, why did you put the kind of umbrellas of Sherberg level um, emotional heft into the story when all you wanted to do was to just tell the the kind of artistic liberation that these characters are seeking uh, through whatever they're trying to do. I mean, for her, it's acting. For him, it's, it's jazz. And just just focus entirely on that. Maybe even like, you know, like Young Girls of Rushworth doesn't really have a central romance in the middle of it and uh it has like you know every single character basically gradually finds their love but it's just just like it's kind of like a an old school hollywood type of romance where it's just it usually just happens at the third act and it's all it's usually just like very superficial in the way that it's just like uh you know love at first sight type of situations which uh young girls of rushford does that as well um just maybe go for uh, that kind of a thing, but um, another thing that that really bugs me about La La Land, and I don't know what you think about this, is that I don't think the I don't think it's paced really well. I think I think as a musical, you know, if you want to call your if you officially, I, I'm I'm kind of a in the, in the old school mindset when it comes to musical. I feel like if you really want to officially call your film a, a full blown musical, you really need to kind of have a musical number like at least every like twenty minutes or so. Um, just to have it have that kind of balance uh, in the in the genre itself, and uh, the what really bugs me about La La Land is number one, the musical numbers completely disappear for like a good, I feel like fifty or sixty minutes during the second act, and um, which kind of creates this uneven pacing where it's just these exuberant, beautiful, colorful. Um, Dance, uh, dance, and song sequences are at the are front are very front loaded, and then, but the second point is that then you are kind of it 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 accentuates the the fact that you don't get many musical numbers to uh, break in to the story that's not really very 
that that doesn't really have a lot of depth to begin with, that really accentu accentuates how kind of um, superficial and badly written this character and the conflict is. And I feel like maybe he could have kind of coded that, covered it up a little bit if he had a couple more musical numbers in there. What do you think about the the overall pacing and that 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 issue? I'm I'm going to answer that by talking about umbrellas first cuz I umbrellas to me is is it's much more an achie- of an achievement um just because it doesn't it feels like a one take movie mm-hmm. even though uh, obviously it isn't there are there are cuts all over the you know all over the place it's it's not a one take movie We'll we'll just get that out of the way. But the sing through nature of it, right? It like it keeps it keeps the like it keeps you kind of in the sustained sense of 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 being and of belonging to the movie, and it draws it draws you in and very successfully keeps you engaged with what you're watching. And there are pauses where uh, where you know we where the change in season is noted and i know that happens but i mean the movie kind of just doesn't really stop and it it, i mean i guess i'm not really being fair to chazelle by making the comparison because umbrellas is just a a basically like a 90 minute musical number Mm -hmm. um so i mean yeah, exactly, and it's it it it's just it's very masterfully conducted. I think that is a really risky, a risky move to take, and I think you know Demi being Demi is, you know, obviously able to pull it off. I think he, he's he knows he knows when the music kind of needs to reach a peak and when it needs to kind of uh, when it needs to level out. It's sort of like you know how modern action blockbusters that are good know when to insert a joke to break tension yes uh like it's it's that it, you know it's he's just very good right exactly yeah and he, and he so he's very he does that extremely well throughout the entire movie and i, I mean the like i think the problem that la la land has is yeah there's just there's a lot of filler in between songs after after i would say the first 45 minutes the first hour or so um and there's there's just there's so much that the movie has to do and so much that the movie has to has to say and it it just it draw it draws itself out i think i think either the movie needed less stuff in between the musical numbers, I think it either needed to just be simplified as a narrative, or it needed more musical numbers. But even then, I'm not sure that that would have helped it. I think that just sort of, you know, I think this sort of would have dragged it out even further. I yeah, mean, that, that's true. I mean, it would have like really kind of hindered the pacing. But I, I think my my point was more along the lines of like cut out a lot of that dead weight and just like replace it with musical numbers instead of like insert musical numbers into the kind of uh, languidly paced and just stuff that really like you nailed it on on the head. It's it's filler. It doesn't mm-hmm. like really add much to the story. It's just conflict that kind of just, especially the second act break where that that big dinner scene where they have that big fight. Which I don't know where the it's it's. I mean they they basically turn into a bunch of like toddlers having a tantrum at that point. 
because they're <laughs> like, like the conflict that they're going through or the conflict that we're supposed to, it's supposed to be communicated is just so stupid that it's like her saying like, but you said you weren't going to sell out and him saying like, oh, I'm making money and this is what I'd want to do now. And then, okay, so what's the problem? Like she, he's, he seems to be content and she seems to be like, okay, well, you're, you know, and, and first of all, like what, what's the, it's, it's just such a stupid illogical way of approaching it because guess what if he becomes like super famous through this process and just super successful fucking take the money or take use your free time to like do your own solo stuff and you know just use your use it as a springboard to do like that pure quote-unquote whatever jazz bullshit that you want to put out there without that opportunity you're never going to even have the without without that career you're never even going to have the opportunity to like get that started to begin with so it's just it makes absolutely no sense and it just feels like filler it just feels like se- oh uh, it just feels like almost like Chazelle read a bunch of screenwriting books and said that okay this is where the second act break where things look uh worst for the protagonist has to happen so i have to insert this kind of forced conflict in there and uh, and like you said, it's like the f- and and like we w- were discussing is like the fact that there are no kind of fun, colorful dance sequ- uh, musical sequences to offset that. It just makes it uh, stick out that much more. I th- I think he- listening to you speak, I think I think I just kind of drilled down to like my big problem with the movie. It, it lacks a lot of confidence. I think I think Chazelle is a very self assured filmmaker, and I'm I'm sure that he sure he's not actually lacking for confidence um but i mean i know i so going back to what i was what i said earlier yes this is a very comfortable movie yes it's a very easy movie but um and and there are harder vocations on the planet than you know being a you know being a musician or being an actress but i mean pursuing those things when you're trying to break in is not is not easy. So the idea that the movie needs kind of a conflict beyond those two things, Mm -hmm. uh, to me feels like kind of a a tell that maybe at some point Chazelle didn't really feel confident in the amount of conflict that his movie had, whether it had adequate conflict, whether it had adequate drama. Um, I, I think that, the two of I think that you know Gosling and Stone both pursuing their their careers and you know the, one of the more like a couple of the more cutthroat industries um, on the planet I think that's that's conflict enough that's plot enough I don't think that mm-hmm. I don't think the movie ever really needed to have a like a big falling out scene between the two of them you know you can have you can have the two of them part ways without doing that. Just yeah, you, by virtue of the fact that what they're doing is difficult and requires a lot of concentration and requires a lot of investment of time and self, maybe at some point they just they just quietly drift apart, and maybe yeah. that would have been appropriate. Yeah, I feel like that would have been more appropriate, or even just just follow the the natural progression of the story if you want to end it at the point where they kind of have to separate because she gets the stream job where she's going to be gone. Uh, to Paris for like this long of a time or whatever and just have it end at that point without having that like completely unnecessary roadblock in the middle of it 
and uh, which would kind of um, correct a lot of the pacing issues and also I think would have allowed him to um, have a more uniform uh, structure as far as you know capturing the essence of the that kind of old-timey Hollywood uh, musical is concerned which you know all those movies that he is obviously in love with a lot of them don't really have um, very uh, complex characters or plot really I mean it's just like it's so it's all very just like shoe, a lot of them have like these shoestring plots I mean can you tell me for example uh, one of the most obvious um, influences uh, you can tell especially with the way that he uses kind of um, kind of theatrical uh, set dressing uh, is like an American in Paris and can you tell me like what's the complex plot of an American in Paris and what's the inner conflict that Gene Kelly is going through what's the I mean what's the plot of that movie I mean I've seen it many times and I can't even like really dive into like every single uh, plot point in it I can definitely remember like all of the musical numbers in it that's for sure and and I think I mean I think months after many months after having seen La La Land you know the first time the second time the musical numbers are the things that that still stick with me because uh, you know I I I can I can fault Chazelle for his perspective but I I will not say that he is you know it, ungifted you know just as a technician so the, like that opening dance number is really really quite spectacular although it's all it also sets the movie up very poorly because yeah, it's, it's none of the musical those, numbers yeah. are good after that it's one of those unfortunate situations like i'm just drawing a blank as far as like examples right now but there are many examples of this where the movie just opens with the best scene mm-hmm. and then just sets up the expectation and that just doesn't deliver and uh the the movie that follows it is usually is not necessarily like awful but it's because you kind of expect that it's just like the opening scene is clearly so much better than um everything i mean there are there are you know maybe half of all bond bond films to me are like that uh it's like you just have this extraordinary uh giant action set piece as like pre-credit sequence the the typical bond pre-credit sequence and the movie that follows is basically like a stretched out two-hour version of that (laughs) yeah exactly and and i mean and then like in the case of la la land after that opening number really this doesn't feel like a musical it it feels like a musical for the opening scene and then Mm -hmm. for the rest of the movie it just kind of feels like uh, it doesn't not even feels like it is just a very very, very well made, very well designed, very well staged, but ultimately empty, you know, Hollywood pats itself on the back kind of movie. I mean, yeah. this is a movie about movies. It's not it, it's not it's not a musical. You could I think at best you could say that it's a movie, a, a movie about musicals and that happens to have a couple well, more than a couple. I'm, I'm being ungenerous to the movie now, but it has, you know, you know, X amount of musical numbers to its name. But like. Ninety percent is... of them are in the first thirty minutes, though. Yeah, exactly. Right, like a like he front loads the movie with, with musical numbers, and then after a, after a point, they just they become there's just more and more time in between numbers, and I think the movie really loses its way, and 
gives up on its own premise. I mean, it, but it, but it is just a movie about movies. Like, mm-hmm. just think about think about where you know where it's set and some of the some of the places that Chazelle takes us to, like physical places. Um, I mean, it's an old Hollywood circle jerk, basically. Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah, and. I don't know. All, I don't all really the locations know. are from like iconic films, and of course, the, the melodrama of the the melodramatic tone of the film definitely uh, evokes like Nicholas Ray. You know, so of course you mm-hmm. have the Observatory from Rebel Without a Cause. Um, yep. You know, like all that stuff like that. Just like it just constantly pops up. Like all his. Um, it's almost like in some cases, it's it, it just comes across as almost like a fan film by someone who's really in love with these with these films but not truly understanding what made each of these films like their own thing uh separately like, yeah. like you, you can have um you can try to do an homage uh to let's say singing in the rain or american in paris or the demi films um but then also you're trying to mix that up with like a Nicholas Ray melodrama. It's not 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 all old Hollywood is tone is like equal. There's no like single you know you have your you have your you have your tragedies, your melodramas, but then you have your comedies and your like kind of exuberant fun uh, musicals. And I think he wants to do kind of like a uh, it's almost like watching those um, those Hollywood tribute videos. Uh, clips clip shows or clip videos that like the oscars used to do in like the 90s you remember those like yeah uh, you know it's just it's kind of almost like comes across like look at all these beautiful films that used to be like the loved in old hollywood and it kind of it kind of comes across like that the 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 musical um the stanley donan musical and the nicholas ray melodrama are not they're not they're great ingredients on their own but they don't mix well together they they don't and i don't i just i don't think that we're at a point anymore where where you get where we get any value out of that kind of uh you know retrospective uh, you can't see me but i'm doing air quote air quotes right now that's oh why my. i keep saying air quotes yeah right air <laughs> that's quote. why i keep saying quote unquote because i'm oh you can't quote, see unquote. <laughs> but like yeah exactly like like i'm like just this this like very performed uh, sense of 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 homage, where it feels completely hollow because it doesn't it, it doesn't say anything about the things it gives homage to, or at least nothing nothing that's substantial or nothing that's particularly interesting or or insightful. So it just it kind of feels like. I mean, again, it, for me, it just keeps coming back to perspective. I, I don't think that he that this movie has much perspective other than the perspective of, you know, a, of a you know a middle a middle class white male who loves movies, and this is this is his tribute mm-hmm. to that thing that he loves. But I mean, unlike unlike a uh, you know Jacques Demy, not that mm-hmm. he's a Hollywood type at all, but although I mean, in fairness, Umbrellas does kind of. Uh, do its own legwork, trying to um, not not pay tribute to, but certainly hmm. uh, uh, it certainly Demi, draws yeah. from. Yeah, Jacques Demi kind of shows how that kind of influence by films or the kind of films that you love 
can really make you focus on a type of uh, homage that you want to create. I mean, it's obvious that from Sh- Cherbourg and all that, and the fact that, you know, he waited, basically, I think he put off the production of Young Girls of Rochefort for so long because he just wanted to have Gene Kelly in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, is because cause he was in love with, you know, all the Gene Kelly, Stanley Donan films or the old Hollywood uh, stuff. And it's obvious that he's in love with that stuff. But at the same time, he he picks out, like, the best parts of that while also having this intense focus towards the, this one particular tone of melodrama that he wants to accomplish. And he goes 110% with it. And I think where, where Chazelle fumbles is that he wants to get a piece of everything from everything that he loves and tries to do everything while accomplishing just a little bit of each, um, each resource. And, um, gosh, I was, I, I just had a thought in my head and it just totally escaped my brain. That's okay. Uh, Um, Oh, this is going to drive me nuts. Yeah. He, I don't know. It, it, again, it's, it just, it feels like, it feels like Chazelle is kind of playing dress up or something Mm -hmm. like, like it feels like he's, you know, you know, wearing his, his big brother's, you know, baggy hand-me-down clothes, mm-hmm. like trying to look good in them, mm-hmm. trying trying to wear them the same way. But he just like I think I think a lot of I think a lot of what Chazelle tries to mm-hmm. accomplish kind of misses the point. And plus the the the, the okay now I remember what I was going to say. Uh, thank God for my lightning fast wit. Um, I think I think what I think what La La Land misses is a moment where all of his influences kind of calcify into his own vision. And that's kind of what Umbrella's, I mean, that's exactly what, not kind of what, it's exactly what Umbrella's manages to do. Like you, you can probably watch that movie and suss out the various, you know, influences that Demi drew on Mm -hmm. uh, to make it in addition to his own personal life experiences. Um, but it but at the same time you've never seen anything like it it's very much it's very much a, a demi movie and you know you go to la la land and it it feels like a chazelle movie only in the sense that chazelle is a guy who really loves you know old hollywood mm-hmm. and and that's that's really all that all that the movie has as ballast to kind of keep it steady and it's not enough yeah yeah it's not enough you need to kind of bring something from yourself to the table uh if that something is not really substantial in the way of like um life experiences with struggle or with a lot of inner conflict or whatever that's fine you could have you you might not have had those experiences you might you might have had a comfortable life but it's like but also you know take but then you can also take power from the kind of at least the, the kind of worldview that you have or the kind of experiences that make you feel like these are the type this is the type of stuff that I want to share with the world and that could just be like a bunch of bubblegum fluff and that's fine especially in the musical genre I mean uh, a lot of it is made for that type of um, kind of approach and I feel like uh, yeah I feel like La La Land would have benefited a lot from that if he was he kind of didn't play 
uh, dress up and didn't wear the baggy pants, but also, but just said that, you know, I like this stuff, but I'm going to kind of do my own thing instead of uh, trying to emulate himself or just like, instead of constantly trying to punch higher into, in the, uh, um, uh, you know, trying to achieve that instead of doing that and just, just being like, okay, this is what, this is what I can offer. This is the story that I can offer, even if that's, you know, maybe it's not an Oscar bait film with a lot of like heavy emotion and, and, and melodrama, but it's, you know, but I can make like a really fun, breezy, uh, like exuberant musical, um, with what I have. Uh, and I think that would have worked out, um, a lot better, but it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's ambition kind of gets in its way. I, I think I think there will be a moment in Chazelle's career, probably pretty soon. I well, I don't know. Maybe I, I'm hoping pretty soon, where he kind of where he really goes for broke and really opens up and puts himself on on the screen in a way that he has yet to do. I, I don't. Yeah. I just I don't get a sense of kind of who he is as mm-hmm. a person or as an artist or what he's about, mm-hmm. other than other than the the very you know surface level homage that he that he yeah, p- like pays other than, other than his technical qualifications or his uh right. talents as a technician really right but you know i've watched a lot of movies already in 2017 that are that are technically proficient and some of them as technically proficient as la la land but mm-hmm. they also through that proficiency say something about the person calling the shots behind the camera and i think that one i think there i i Hmm. I don't know what the odds are that Chazelle will end up doing that. I, I don't no, know, you, but you, you never know. Um, yeah, but but it's also there, it's a, it is a little bit ironic that uh, a movie where that like bashes you over the head with the theme of you know art in order to become an artist, you have to kind of say take something out of yourself, express yourself in a truthful uh, way, and that's the whole point of it. That and that is actually missing from Chazelle's art while he's making La La Land. So I don't know if that makes sense, but it's, it's a little bit, I find that a little bit ironic that it's like, it just feels like impersonal in that way when he's making a movie about like how intimately important, uh, you know, expressing yourself and um, expressing your truth, regardless of what other people might've, felt about your work it's about like the truthful artful expression where um where i also feel like la la land is a film that's trying way too hard to be loved Um, yeah yeah it really wants to be uh, you can you can tell that you can tell that he he's very insistent that this is like an important movie there there is there is a a huge uh sense of of gravity uh, to like to this movie that I I don't think it really earns. In addition to the fact that it wants to be light and carefree, which we've talked about, it also really you know it also really wants to be taken seriously. And I guess I guess what I what I wish is I I wish I knew you know whether whether Chazelle believed that art is something you have to compromise on, and whether whether working in this industry requires compromise. And whether he really believes that or whether he really believes 
that you know you should never compromise and and if you you know compromising is you know is this is just cowardly it's selling out and you need to just do the thing that you want to do and you will be successful i i i I just i can't get past the fact that this movie doesn't really have a a clearly defined philosophy about like one way or the other Mm -hmm. um yeah and it just it it just it just feels so dishonest and then and then since we're talking about umbrellas umbrellas is is all about honesty which is maybe like and, and it also embraces its simplicity yeah, yeah yeah i mean i mean it might be crazy to say that this movie is honest because it's it's also just loaded with artifice but like shamed melodrama basically it's unapologetic yeah. about its it's uh it's a way out there melodrama but that's what makes it honest it's because it's not yeah. trying to be anything else Right. It's, it's not, it doesn't, it's not self-disguised. Like it's, it's very aesthetically, um, um, prominent, I guess I would say mm-hmm. it, but, but I mean the, the artistry and artifice on display don't really take away from how, how honest and real the, the things that it's about, um, are and how, mm-hmm. how much he feels, how deeply he feels for the things that the movie is about. Yeah. And La La Land just doesn't, just doesn't get there yeah yeah that's uh i think that's the this is a good point to cap it off what do you think i agree yeah my cats are getting antsy <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's so, it's bedtime i think is what they're trying to tell me <laughs> okay so on that on that note um thank you for listening to another episode of over under movies we'd like to thank theplaylist.net for for hosting us and also even though he's not uh, here but he's with us in spirit also want to take Ryan Oliver for um, sitting through umbrellas of Sherberg basically for no reason so thank you for uh, jumping on that grenade because I have a feeling that he wasn't a huge fan of it and I can (laughs) I can imagine him kind of shaking his head while he's like listening to this whole episode uh while editing but yeah thank you thank you ryan for editing the episode and also uh you can find uh all of the playlist podcasts on playlist.net under the podcast banner you can also find uh the playlist podcast episodes including over under movies adjust your tracking binge worthy and all the other uh the general playlist plays podcast episodes that that ryan and uh editor-in-chief rodrigo perez um record where they talk about like all these interesting issues uh of of contemporary releases and uh news and and in the movie industry and all that so make sure to check those out and you can find those on the playlist.net and also on you can find them on itunes on stitcher and on sound soundcloud and um before we leave i want to pitch the next picks uh, i want to tease the next picks which are going to be ryan's picks and uh i think uh the overall theme is going to be like weird sardonic comedies about death um i don't know we'll, we'll get into the the nitty-gritty of that when we record the episode but his underrated pick is going to be the the cannibal comedy eating raul and his overrated is going to be the 2007 version of uh, death at a funeral so that should be interesting uh, but um, signing off this is Oktay Ege Kozak 
I'm a film critic and contributor for Paste Magazine, uh, The Playlist, uh, DVD Talk, and BayasParta.com. And I'm Andy Crump, and I'm a pop culture critic for Paste Magazine, The Playlist, Slant Magazine, The Hollywood Reporter, Polygon, and WBUR's The Artery, and probably a couple other outlets that I've forgotten, because I have no memory for this stuff. Holy shit, dude. Way to brag. <laughs> we only have another half an hour until... You're just giving me the cut signal, okay? Just stop talking about your outlets. Well, let, let's, let's direct another episode where you just like... Uh, just just talk about places yeah, for like half an hour. For an hour. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, well, thank you so like... much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye.